Good evening, everybody. This is Matt DeMarinas here um, with Megan Ballinger again, bringing you another Creighton Volleyball wrap-up podcast. We're going to break down Creighton's final regular season weekends and preview the upcoming Big East tournament this weekend. Um, just a quick recap, the Jays uh, swept both Seton Hall and St. John's. Uh, to finish 16-2 and two in league play, which uh, allowed them to finish in a tie with Marquette at the top spot, so they shared the regular season title. For Marquette, I think it's their first one. I don't think they shared any of the other ones. I could be mistaken about that, but I think it's their first one since 2013. And then for Creighton, it's, it's the eighth in a row since that streak started in 2014. So, um, yeah, big weekend for the Jays. Uh, and it was kind of like Sunday was – or they play on Sunday? I, my days are all mixed up because of the men's yeah, – yeah. yeah. Yeah, they played St. John's on Sunday, the day after Marquette wrapped up their season. So the Jays knew what they had to deal with, but there was also some pressure in terms of, you know, they have to beat a team that already beat them this year, and um, they knew Marquette had already taken care of business, so they couldn't just totally cut it loose without knowing that. So there was some pressure there, I think. But – um, I thought the Jays performed pretty well overall. Let's uh, Megan, let's start with that Seton Hall match because that was a pretty dominant one on Friday night. I think this is probably what we both thought might happen in the first matchup, right? Uh, with Creighton coming off the loss of St. John's, you were kind of thinking that they would, uh, you know, be really locked in in all phases after that loss. Uh, but the, the first set against Seton Hall on the road in the first matchup was was kind of a grinder, right? So it wasn't a totally clean performance. On Friday, though, in the rematch, it's hard to nitpick much from what they did on that night. Did you find anything that stood out to you that you think wasn't as clean, or did this seem like a complete performance in your opinion too? No, I really thought – I mean, I thought it was just kind of complete domination, kind of in all facets of the game. Yeah. Um Especially serving, I was really impressed. Um, their ace-to-error ratio I thought was pretty good. I mean, they just put a lot of pressure on. Seton Hall, so I think they had 13 aces and then seven errors, so maybe a few less errors you'd like to have. But um, overall, I mean, really good. And then the blocking disparities, too, between what Seton Hall was able to do and what Creighton did, I thought was just huge. So, yeah, I really thought they honestly just dominated and controlled, honestly, the entire match. And, and – we talked a lot about on this podcast about how the serving is kind of like, you know, if there's a, if there's a catalyst to good defense, it starts with the serving at the serving line. Right. So it's not, it's probably not a coincidence that the Jays had a season high 13 aces and then also held Seton Hall to a season low negative 046 hitting, right. That's the lowest any opponent has hit against CU. So the fact that those two are both in that category of a high for the Jays and a low for an opponent in both of those areas it kind of just speaks to how connected both of those statistics are to one another in a performance, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it goes hand in hand. I mean, serving, that's that first contact, and then you're hopefully just getting the other team kind of out of system, and then you can set up your block, and it just becomes really easy for you. So I think they just did that well. They took care of those first contacts um, really well all night, I thought, and then it just kind of was easy after that. Um, you know, they kind of just were able to read what Seton Hall was going to do. Mm-hmm. There are only two ties and two lead changes this whole match. Uh, both of them came early in set two. So it really was Creighton step on the gas and go from 
point one on in each set. You know, I think the one thing watching Seton Hall, and I'm going to try to be polite here, but I can't help but like notice the, I don't want to phrase this. There's a little bit of a self-destructive nature on their side of the net that I've noticed in these matchups. Honestly, well, I've noticed it in a lot of sports with Seton Hall, but in volleyball, it's, it's apparent too, because, you know, Creighton will get on these runs and there won't be a whole lot of like, maybe there's like, maybe they settle into just a, like Creighton's just better than us. They outmatch us physically. We got to keep, there's nothing really, there's no magic words we can say in a huddle. So why burn timeouts and delay the inevitable? Let's just keep encouraging them as the match goes on. But they don't try to stop the match or stem momentum with, you know, timeouts, adjustments, challenges, things like that. It's all just in in play coaching. And it's always very strange to me that these matches settle into that. But as a player, do you recognize the fact that Seton Hall gets a little gets a little flaky? And if you get on a run, you can kind of put them on tilt and really put a, a dominant run together as opposed to just a 4-0 run or a 5-0 run that would that they can answer? Do you notice yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, for sure. And honestly, it bothers me. Like, I, I think their coach should try to slow the game down for them yeah. and actually gameplay it. It really, really bothers me. And I remember it happening several times. There was one time even after a match that Kirsten was like, I want to tell you, she's like, if you're a coach, you're like, you should never do that. Like, you need to step in and slow the game down. I don't care how, how much you're losing by. Yeah. Like, you're still the coach and you're still going to try to win. So I, I just really bothers me from that standpoint. But yeah, I mean, for Creighton, obviously, I think you just kind of see it. And I think they don't hide it well. I mean, if they're in a disarray and they're not connected, I don't think they really try to bring it back together. Um, mm. Maybe a few times throughout the match, I thought Seton Hall maybe tried a little bit or a couple of players maybe tried. But yeah, I just I think that you can really tell you can see it on their faces. So, I mean, for Creighton's players, I think it's really obvious and you just kind of want to keep on rolling and hopefully get that set over. But yeah, I don't really know why their coaching staff does that, but I don't know. It's not what I would do if I was in that position. Someone even asked me after the match uh, on Twitter, if I, if I had, if I could explain why their assistance left in the middle of the third set, I didn't even notice it. So I don't know what oh. was going on there, but apparently I don't know why they left or why they went to after the locker room, but. Apparently, I have to go back and watch because I did not see them leave early. But I wasn't at that point. It felt like the match was over. So it's just it's just strange. Like I don't know what it is about that this matchup. But Creighton is absolutely if there's one team where Creighton's dominance is especially highlighted in the Big East, it's it's definitely Seton Hall. When you go back and look at the way these matches have gone, I mean, there's just it's not just lopsided scores. It's sweeps. It's quick matches. It's like we we talked about not very many timeouts. Um, not very many attempts to slow the game down and, and settle your team down. So yeah, Friday, it was, I think the thing that was, it wasn't surprising from Seton Hall's end on Friday. I think the thing that was kind of um, probably the, the story worth telling was just Creighton's performance. Like we said, across the board, it felt like they were really locked in. Like they had a really, and it feels like they had a really good week of preparation and they were just ready to kind of keep that momentum they've had this last couple weeks going, you know, and I think it just translated in all phases of the game. I thought they terminated at a high rate. They served really aggressively. You know, you mentioned the seven errors. Um, 
But is is the thirteen aces and the seven errors is an indication that they were just really going? They were just really ripping the ball the whole time, and they weren't really, you know, worried about making mistakes out there. They were just letting it rip. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's just that aggressiveness that you see, and you're going to have errors, you know, when you're trying to get teams out of the system. So to an extent, you're okay with it, right? I mean, the the rub is that you want to have, you know, a few less errors, hopefully, and a few more aces. But yeah, I mean, to see that, I'm sure the coaching staff was was happy with that because they were consistently going after it. And I thought, you know, everyone that stepped back there was putting in really good serves. The one thing that maybe is something that uh, probably needed to be cleaned up, and it did get cleaned up. Honestly, they had seven. You, met, you know, they had seven service errors for the match, but three of them were right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know, they had, and that, and that was honestly Seton Hall's first three points were service errors from Creighton. So every every point for the first maybe what was the score? It was like six three seven three. I think the first eleven or twelve points were all scored by Creighton in some manner, whether it was the three service errors they had or the aces and kills they were getting um, to start the match. So. Yeah. Um, the serving was incredible. I mean, and it was, it wasn't just one uh, hot server either. That's kind of what we've noticed these last couple of weeks, right? Is they've got a lot of players that are going back there with some confidence. I mean, you look at the emergence of Ali Van Ekren, she's carried over that hot serving from what, about a month ago when she kind of came on the scene um, in that area, Keely Davis has continued it. Abby Bottomley, uh, Nora and Jayla have been serving really well, uh, and Kendra's disruptive back there. So they've locked into six pretty effective servers. And then you still have Ellie Bolton kind of in that seven spot who's had some good matches serving too. So they're serving depth over this last month, but what they've been able to build there, uh, I mean, I think it bodes well for their postseason future. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think serve and pass is going to become even more essential. I mean, as important as it is now, when it comes down to it, I mean, the teams you're going to play, you know, down the road in the Big East tournament and then the NCAA tournament are going to have really good service and really good passers. So yeah. that's where a lot of the game starts. And honestly, you'll hear just we have to win the serve and pass game to win matches. I mean, everything after that is obviously important, but not as important as the serve and pass game. That's just so essential to even, you know, putting your team in system and having the capability to get kills and get digs. So, yeah. A great and dominated first contact against Seton Hall for sure. And, you know, flip back, fast forward to Sunday against St. John's, they dominated first contact again from the jump, especially in set one. I mean, it looked like it was going to be another wipeout afternoon. That first set was really impressive. I mean, the crowd was engaged. Uh, the players were all, it looked like they had some extra juice to them. Um, like they knew they were playing for a championship that day. It's always kind of fun to watch, like, how a certain team will rise to the moment if they'll think about it at all or if they'll just go out and approach it like it's another match that they have to play well in and then let the rest of these stuff fall into place afterwards when you were going into those matches as a player so i'm trying to like you know you were a part of it as an active player for four of them right four big east titles um you won three conference tournament titles uh you went to an elite eight um and you won two first round ncl tournament games right or three, yeah. Um, when you're going into those matches as a player, do you think about the ramifications of what they mean, or do you just try to control what you can tr- control first and foremost, and then, like I said earlier, let everything else fall into place afterwards, or do, are you conscious of it? 
Um, you know, I think you try to compartmentalize as much as you can, but obviously the stakes are higher. So, I mean, when you get to the NCAA tournaments, you win or you go home. So, mm. and it's the same way in the Big East tournament. So, I think you just, you maybe try to push it aside, but it's definitely there. And you're maybe a little bit more, more like jacked up for the game, you know, like ready to go point one, just thinking about like what it is and your capability to win championships. So, I think there's a little extra something that, you know, you kind of, get fired up right away and it's not hard, you know, to be ready for those matches. I think sometimes during conference play, you know, as months go on, maybe it's a little harder to get up for a team um, or something, but I don't think that happens. You know, it's, it's the fun part of season and it's the part where you get to play against the best teams and hopefully play your best volleyball. Yeah. The interesting thing is I think, uh, so in the post game after Seton Hall, Kirsten, Kirsten said that, you know, assistant coach Craig Dyer told the team, look, you're playing a St. John's team that has already beaten you once this year. And if you win, if you beat them, not only are you getting payback for that, but you're clinching um, a regular season title. So like, there's, there's a lot of motivation there for you to be sharp and at your best. Right. But the the thing that was interesting about it was Jayla Zimmerman kind of downplayed that a little bit. Is that, is that just her playing it close to the chest a little bit or do you think, or you, or, is it really just like, don't even think about that stuff. Just go out there and play your game and everything else is fine. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the memory of losing at St. John's was, you know, in their memory, but um, you can't think about it. I mean, if you think too much about, you know, getting, getting back at the team or getting revenge or doing all this, you kind of lose yourself in that. And I think you just mm. have to go out there and play your game and focus on what you can do. And then flexibly as a team, hopefully it all comes together and you play really clean volleyball, but yeah, I mean, I don't think you want to overhype it. I don't think, you know, all the times that I was there too, I don't think we really overhyped it. And a lot of that is too because of how Kirsten approaches things. I mean, as a process and she's not sitting there talking about the Big East Championship every single day, you know, or like winning in NCAA tournament games every day. It's more about like, okay, how can I get better? How can the team get better? It's it's just so much of a process that I think you get to that point and you're like, okay, I'm prepared, but I haven't spent so much time like focused on this goal that I like need to achieve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of, it's just interesting to see how the players kind of deal with their, their own success. Right. Cause I, I imagine that there's some pride in this streak that's going on right now that there's, you know, every year when you get to this end point and you're in, you know, it's around Halloween or, you know, Thanksgiving's creeping up. You're like, all right, what's what's still in line here for our goals like do we you know are we going to be the first team that ends this big east title streak or do we still have can we still pull this off and like i think there's something to be said for first of all let's just let's just remark sunday wasn't easy the first set was easy but set 2 was a grind a dogfight i mean st john's kept coming at creighton they did not let they did not roll over for them um and, you know, set two, I think what Creighton won it first and was they were halfway to the locker room. Um, I'm pretty sure some of the players even made it to the locker room, honestly. Uh, <laughs> and then they and then they reviewed that last point and overturned it. So the players come mm -hmm. back out on the court and then Nora Sis kill ace bang, bang, back to the locker room, like ended it again. I think yeah. that set was the way that set ended was really impressive to me because it could have tilted the match and just made it like a five set grinder had St. John stolen game two um, and just flipped the momentum a little bit in their favor. Right. 
we saw that in New York, how how quickly that those matches swung back and forth. Um, so just on that point alone, like I think it's impressive of Creighton that they were halfway to the locker room thinking they're up 2-0 and, you know, in cruise control for um, the Big East title, right? And then they have to come back out and figure out how to score two more points um, against a fired-up St. John's team. And they did, like. And not only did they, but it was their freshman pulling it off. Like I think that 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 is something that I think will carry forward and is a good indicator of what what the level they're playing at right now going into postseason play. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that point you talked about there at the end. Um, yeah, when you think you win it and then you're like, okay, let's move on. Um, I think that will be really helpful just because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, that could happen down the road and then you have to kind of regroup and be like, okay, like we need to win two points back to back. And Mm -hmm. that's something you practice, you know, and doing drills where you have to get two in a row or three in a row on that sort of thing. But it was really good to see them just kind of lock in and two quick, easy points, like you said. So that was good to see. And then they could move on and have one more set to go. Yeah. And they had nine more aces that um, against the red storm too seven errors again, but again, like their ace to error weekend is 22 aces, 14 errors. Right. So um, 14 errors in six sets is a little, is high. Right. But mm-hmm. um, they're also averaging 3.67 aces per set this last weekend. That's absurd. You know, that's, 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 that's crazy. So that just shows you, you know, where these performances were, led from and i think it's we'll talk about it in a second but it just shows why the why other teams are having such a hard time scoring on creighton their serving really has gone to a different level down the stretch here yeah i agree and it's like i said it's going to be more and more important as they go on but it's really good to see and hopefully yeah they can limit some of those errors and just you know really go out there hit tough serves and make it really hard on the opposing team you look at um you look at uh, I I had, to, I had broke it down their defense since since the UConn match. So they lost that five setter at UConn, and I think you know that was uh, it put their backs against the wall, and they haven't really had to deal with that type of adversity in Big East play in a while. Like normally they'll they're losing more non conference matches than they are conference matches. That's just kind of how it goes because the non con is riddled with you know, the elite of the elite. And, um, you know, it's not uncommon for Creighton to drop five or six matches in that, in that gauntlet and then come through and just rip through the big East um, for two months before the NCAA tournament starts. This one, this season was a little bit different. They only lost one match in conference play or non-conference play. And they lost two in maybe the first half of the season in conference play. So it's like, they almost took, they almost erased their margin for error right off the bat in the big East. Yeah. Cause you're like, okay, is Marquette going to slip up against anybody else? Or, you know, are they, are we going to be able to sweep them kind of thing? Like there's a lot of pressure there. Um, so Creighton drops that match to UConn and they still have the, the next road match at, at Marquette left on the schedule too. So they go and take care of business there and they kind of set themselves up to, if they can run the table um, at least tie Marquette for that title. Right. Which ended up happening. But since that match at UConn where they lost in five sets, uh, leading up – or every every match – like their matches up to and including that UConn match, they were averaging uh, 1.4 aces per set and 1.9 errors per set from the service line. 
since that UConn match, they're at 2.1 aces per set and 1.89 errors per set. So the errors are kind of the same. It's a little bit they've, – they've decreased it a little bit, but they've dramatically um, bumped up their aces per set. Blocking. Um, and, again, this is all kind of connected, right? If you listen to Megan at all on this podcast, she's talked about how serving is, like, priority number one and, um, of being a good defensive team. Um, so we t- so the aces per set jumped up blocking before prior to, and including the UConn match was at 2.66 blocks per set. Really good. Since then it's 3.1. So it's even better. Uh, opponent hitting percentage. What opponents were hitting 137 after the UConn match against Creighton this year, since the UConn match, Creighton is allowing opponents to hit 081. 081. Minus like l- below 100, not even 200, below 100. Um, and then if you look at the last five uh, five matches they've had, I think it's what, uh, you know, Butler, Xavier, um, who they have on the road then? Oh, Villanova, Georgetown, and then Seton Hall, St. John's at home right here. If you look at, if you just break down those, those last five, they held four of those opponents to sub 100 hitting, four of them. The only team that hit above 100 was Villanova at 117. So, like, just dominant defensively. That's it. That, I mean, Megan, you played on some great teams, you know, some great teams. I'm, I'm like emphasizing great, underlined, all caps, exclamation points, great teams, all time great teams. You never had a defensive team like that. Never, not one time. Yeah, I mean, it's impressive. You're not going to lose many games, yeah, if you're keeping teams to that low of a hitting percentage for sure. So I think it's really impressive. And I think it's really impressive that it's block and defense. You know, I think, Mm. I mean, they're both so important, but I think they've just really had some outstanding performances in both areas. Um, And those are different players playing those positions. So I just think, you know, whatever happened, it's it's working. And I think they just continue to get better at defense. And it's going to be so fun to watch. And just the blocking performances, I love watching those as a former middle. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just love seeing seeing good defense. It's always fun to watch really good defensive teams. Yeah, I mean, the, just to put the blocking in perspective there, as you mentioned that, um, up to that UConn match, they had one match this season where they had more than 12 blocks or 12 or more blocks, I should say. They only had, they had 13 against, uh, I think, SMU. Um, since that UConn match, since they dropped that five-setter in stores, they've had four in the last, what, 10, 11 matches or so, you know? Mm-hmm. So the blocking has had a, quite an uptick, not only in totality, but in, in the averages. So, I mean, like, we kind of thought early on that the, the defense was – where this team's kind of bread was buttered, so to speak. Like they were, you know, the offense wasn't um, was it the offense has hadn't ever been where it's where it's at for most dominant Creighton teams of the past, right? Um, but the defensive numbers were staggering. They've even upped that level. It's kind of crazy to me to see because they did make it a priority to be more disruptive from the service line, even more so than they were early on in the first two thirds of the season. But it's just wild to see the level they've gone to now. Um, just from floor coverage, right? From block setup to serving, everything. Like all phases feel like they're firing, you know, 
uh, at a better rate than they were even when they were still doing really well on that end of the floor, right? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, that point you brought up, I really do think, I mean, at the beginning of the season, they really were a really good defensive team, but the offense, you kept thinking, okay, it's it's going to come, right? It's going to click because there were just times where it just wasn't clicking and it, it wasn't fluid like you would expect. But mm-hmm. I think they've gotten to a point where they've hammered in those defensive skills so much that they've kept that really good defensive performance, I think, and the offense continues to get better. I thought, you know, during the St. John's match, I thought everything pretty much was connected. I didn't really recognize any like miscues or people, you know, run into one spot and the setter setting it to a different spot, that sort of thing. So I just thought it looked a lot more fluid. And so I thought they played a really good match. I thought all the way, I mean, from defense to offense, I thought it was a really good clean match for the most part. And everyone was kind of firing all cylinders. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a good thing you brought up Kendra Waite because I mean, honestly, her and Nora were both amazing in that St. John's match. Um, for that being a pressure-packed, like, or potentially pressure-packed moment where they, you know, have to win to clinch that number one seed, that Big East title, keep that streak alive, um, they showed up. I mean, 13 kills, six digs, three blocks, two aces for Nora, uh, five kills on seven swings, no errors um, to go along with 34 assists and nine digs for Kendra. But it's more than just what you can see on the stat sheet, too, because I totally agree with you. This offense looks more fluid than it has in at any point in the season, especially the last couple of weeks. You know, and the Villanova match was kind of an eye opener. We talked about it last weekend. Is this a springboard? Because they haven't really had an offensive performance like that all season where there's multiple hitters firing at a really efficient rate, you know. Um, and I think Kendra's leveled up a little bit in this like second half of the season as a setter, you know, she was really good defensively early in the season. um, And that was where most of her impact was felt. Uh, I think she's really coming along as a setter. Uh, You can see that she's putting a lot of work into it. And I think she's been working on, it looks like she's been working a lot with, you know, some of her hitters where the connection wasn't great early on in the season, because it looks like, just her connection across the board is much better than it was, you know, earlier. I mean, she's setting the one more, she's setting the right side almost as much as she sets the left side. Like it's her disparity right now. And her tempo with the ball is crazy. I think like she's made a big jump in my opinion. Yeah. That's what I think too. And I think the exciting thing is I think she'll only get better as a Mm -hmm. setter. I Mm -hmm. I think she came in and you're like, wow, she's a great defensive player, but you weren't so sure just about like the touch and the feel of being a setter. But I think, it's crazy how much progress she's made just from what these few months that they've had to train. So I think it's really exciting and the dumping and just everything that she can do, I think is really exciting and she'll just continue to get better and have, you know, flawless connections with middles, right sides, outsides, back row. So she's been asked to do a lot, but I think she's really embraced it and she's doing a really good job. Yeah. And it's, it'll tell the story of how far this, or not maybe how far, but like how much potential this Creighton, this current Creighton team has, right? Because, you know, the defense right now is at a level that it hasn't been all season. Um, and to see the offense kind of play along with that to come into form, you know, you just, you start to think about like what this team's potential for a deep run in December looks like, because if they can, if they have multiple weapons, but you, you know, you beat this into the ground all this whole season we've been doing this 
is having, you know, three hit three options or four options really with the back row attack too. Like four options at the net just makes this makes a defense just have no clue what's going on and they have to play the guessing game um, in order to be effective against Creighton, right? But that's kind of not where they've lived. They've they've lived off the defense right now, and but it seems like the offense is starting to, you know, even if they're not hitting to the degree that you're, that you're 2015, 2016, 20, all those, you know, your teams hit, like your teams were always offensive juggernauts, right? You know, you, Jaylee, Taryn, Marissa, um, Lydia, Lauren, like all those hitters. Uh, it was always a, a deadly night for defenses, but, you know, you look at their hitting percentages lately and it's like, there is an uptick here, you know, they hit, you know, since the Butler match, right? Like, um, well, the Butler match is the one outlier. They hit 183 of that game, but that's, again, we talked about that. Butler is one of the better defensive teams in the conference. So that was probably going to be a rock fight from the jump. But they hit, you know, 245 um, against Marquette, 273 against DePaul, 286 against Xavier. Then they hit 426 against Villanova, 274 against Seton Hall. Like, that's that's enough of a jump up if your defense is holding teams to, you know, around the 100 hitting mark or lower, you know, this like this last stretch where the opponents have been at 081 the last 10 or 11 matches, right? Like you don't need to hit 350 to, to dominate a team when you're allowing them to hit 081. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that is true. I think the other thing you see now, I think Kendra is a little bit more comfortable going to everyone. Mm -hmm. So I think that was something that was missing in the beginning. And yeah, they had that defense. And when they would transition to offense, I think it was easy kind of to guess who she was going to set. But I think she's gotten to the point where she'll, you know, throw it back behind her on a slide. She'll go to a one. She'll go to the outside. She'll go, you know, call her on a number. She'll go to the back row. So I think now she's gotten to a point where she's just really comfortable hitting honestly anyone across the net and it ending in a kill. So I think that's the part that's going to set them, set them apart. Um, you know, maybe people aren't hitting crazy numbers, but if you get everyone involved, it just keeps the defense guessing. Yeah. If, is there a magic number you look for? Like, do you want your offense clicking or like terminating at this certain number? Like, is there a, is there a threshold that you try to reach as an offense or does it just, is it about flow and, timing and who's who's and how many options you have per night like is that more about what it is for your offense or is there a threshold you look for in terms of a hitting percentage about whether or not you feel good about what you did offensively I mean a lot of it is matchups honestly I mean you'd like to hit above 200 as a team ideally you'd like to have your outsides above 200 um, they're just taking so many swings that you know, to be really efficient, you'd like to be above 200. So, and then middles, of course, a little bit higher because you're getting less attempts and hopefully you're getting openings um, from your setter. But yeah, I mean, there's no real magic number, I guess I would say, but mm -hmm. a lot of it's just kind of flow and matchups too, and just moving people around and hopefully baiting the other blockers and then finding openings um, for other hitters. Yeah, because I think they're, I mean, between St. John's and Seton Hall, there were only nine blocks this weekend, right? Would St. John's had seven? Seton Hall had two. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of an indication that there was a lot of one-on-one -on -one matchups, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think Kendra did a good job again, just kind of spreading it out. And then I thought people terminated. I think Annika did roll. I mean, she had no errors in the St. John's match, hit 583. So, mm -hmm. I mean, those are just really good numbers. And then Kendra, yeah, 
had, let's see, five kills. So Menorah 13, Jayla nine. So I think it's just spread out nice. And they only had five kills too. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's just, it's just really helpful when you're comfortable going to everyone and people can put the ball down. Yeah. Naomi is had a good Sunday, you know, like a good little like springboard, potentially a potential springboard weekend. She had five, five kills, seven blocks against St. John's in that big East title clincher. And then um, she won big East defensive player of the week off of that. So, you know, she, she's kind of had to work her way back into that flow a little bit. Um, and especially working on her connection with Kendra. Um, how good is a weekend like that for Naomi? I mean, I know she's like the most experienced player on this floor, so she probably needs as little, you know, mental ma- maintenance as possible. Like she can get herself right. Cause she's been through so much, you know, she's just experienced it all. Right. But I mean, I imagine like there, her confidence had to be at a little bit of a low based on how she was playing. What does a weekend like this do for her to springboard her into postseason play just to kind of get a match where, you know, you just see kind of like her perform at her level uh, that you we were accustomed to in past years and then, you know, grab a defensive player of the week award um, to end the season. Like, does that you think that's a booster for her at all? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think she had a really good defensive performance as evidenced by the defensive player of the week um, yeah. award. But yeah, I think that's something that she really hangs her hat on. And I mean, she's been good at blocking and we've seen that for years and years, but yeah, to kind of have a standout blocking performance, I think is really helpful. And then I think the offense continues to get better with her for whatever reason. Um, I don't know. Her connection isn't always there with Kendra Mm -hmm. on some of those quick attacks and stuff. So you saw that in some of the errors that she had, she was a little bit higher, but I mean, I think it's good to just get back in the flow of things and Honestly, I mean, they've been changing out their lineups a little bit. You know, they've had Keely in the front row attacking, and then they brought Naomi in there um, to stay in there and kind of run more of a three-middle attack um, where they can just shuffle people around more. So I think they're just trying to kind of figure out what works, and maybe it'll be different things, you know, different nights again, different against different teams. But, yeah, I don't know. It's been kind of interesting to watch the flow and of who they put in there and what the results are like. I think it's like, it's a little bit of a luxury. I think the players have handled it pretty well, you know, just from the outside looking in. Um, Cause they do have a lot of depth, but that also, there's also a, a negative to that. Cause that means there's a short leash if you're not playing well. So <laughs> um, I think the coaching staff has done a really good job of kind of like, all right, you know, if this one, if this, if this uh, rotation doesn't have it, we can, mix players in here. Um, you know, we can, we can bring Kiana off the bench. We can bring Keely off the bench. We can bring Naomi off the bench. Uh, we can bring in Ellie for some defense and some serving. Like, I think the coaches have done a pretty good job of like, um, you know, integrating this depth without it, like eating the team alive from an ego standpoint. Cause that's, that's a tough battle to face as a coach, right? You don't know how everyone's going to handle, uh, the switching of roles and um, you know, you get like 20 sets one day and two, you know, two days later, you know? So like, I think they've handled it pretty well. And I think you're seeing, you've seen it in the performances, right? Cause you know, there will be matches where like Kiana won't play on a Friday, but on a Sunday she gets like seven kills on 15 swings, you know, or, you know, Keely will have uh single digit attempts, um, 
And then two days later, she'll come and have 10 kills. Like, I think it's a good sign that the team has kind of embraced the fact that they have some talent and they have some depth and that everybody in the gym has worked hard and, you know, deserves opportunities when they're, when they're, when their number is called. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you have this many talented people on a team, it's, you know, hard to know who's going to be playing. So a lot of that work is done off the court, honestly, you know, just talking about what you would do if, you know, your role changes or um, if you get put on the bench or, you know, somebody beats you out in your position. So a lot of that is discussed. And I mean, you just kind of have to face it um, head on and be ready to go. Because I mean, as you saw in the middle of the second set this weekend against St. John's, they were flipping lineups around and putting different people in. So, and those people came in and I thought did a good job. So, you know, you never know when your number is going to get called, especially um, on this team, just because of what they can do and rotate people around and people can play a lot of different positions on this team, which makes it fun, but also hard on the coaching staff to kind of figure out where they're going to perform best. I see you're like smiling a little bit or fighting back a smile. When you say that, am I being too optimistic about that or like, is there something to the way players handle that? Like, it's not universal that you're just, um, you know, pouty if you don't get your role, right? Like, you have to embrace the team part of this season, don't you? Is that – that's the that's a tough part to do, right? Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, yeah, I won't sugarcoat that part of it. But I think it, it says a lot about the type of person that Kirsten recruits to. Mm-hmm. And I think she does the work there. And then, I mean, once people get there, she – she's very upfront about, you know, you have to earn your position. And um, there are conversations at the beginning of the season about, you know, what, what you will do, how will you react if, you know, you get pulled from your position or, you know, you're not starting anymore. So that sort of thing. And I think you've seen that happen too over the years. I know I played with Jess Bird um, when I was there and she was the starting outside and um, you know, somebody else was performing better in that position. And she ultimately, um, got pulled so and she just handled that so well so I think players like that too I mean you remember that for years and years to come so you know watching teammates do that and just handle it in the right way um, with a really positive attitude just make the team better I think there's just people that it takes a lot of special skill to do that but it just helps the team out so much because that's your what you're talking about right there is the kind of intangible that enhances your culture instead of killing it right Exactly. I mean, that's somebody who could have completely, you know, just tanked the culture, you know, with one thing because very popular person on the team and somebody that played a really big role. So, I mean, if they're having a bad attitude about it, it can just create some animosity, you know, maybe for that person too that has to step in and play the position that she did. So, I mean, there's just so much that goes, you know, off the court. I think that's so important to the actual play on the court. That's um, it leads me into my next topic and this is the kind of the surface level one but they've won eight straight Big East conference titles <laughs> they've won eight in a row I mean it's crazy to think the run they're on because it's not just like it's not just eight Big East titles in a row it's um you know you go back two years before that and there's an MVC title in there too so it's nine of the last 10 years they've been the best team in their conference um and I, and I know it's, it's like their past, probably that being a benchmark to some degree, like they want to go to the final four and win a national championship. Cause that's what they haven't done yet, but it's not nothing that they've won eight in a row. Right. Like that's, you talk about all the things that enhance your culture and that 
keep you connected as a team. Winning eight Big East titles in a row is like indicative of how strong that's been over the years, right? Yeah, I think it's really impressive. I mean, I guess I never really thought about it because I think you get there and write like that's your expectation. You expect mm-hmm. to be doing that. So I think at least when I was there, like my expectation was, okay, I'm playing Thanksgiving weekend in the Big East tournament every year, right? Like I'm yeah. busy every single year. I'm busy like, every I'll be there and I'll be yeah. winning a championship. So yeah, I think you just get to that point where you're like, that's my routine. Like I expect to be here. You know, I expect to win Big East championships. And once you do it, I think you just – you have that drive to keep, keep on going. Right. I mean, keep on winning and hopefully hoist that trophy at the end of the season. So a lot of it is that, I mean, you see that people that come before you and mm. you want to uphold the expectation and get to the point where those people before you did. Yeah. It's just crazy. Like, I mean, first of all, I, I you know what, I, what the funny part was, I was sitting there thinking I was sitting in the arena finishing up. Um, and I was just looking up at the banners real quick and like, they have to make a new banner now for because they're out of years for the championships in the Big East. So they have oh. to make a they have to make a new banner for that. Um, and I'm pretty sure they have to add a new banner for the NCAA tournaments too. So there's some new uh, laundry going to be in the DJ Soulful Arena <laughs> because of the streak they're on. But I mean, I don't know. I think the thing that's kind of uh, that makes this one interesting is that the Big East was probably as tough as it's been. Um, probably since I mean I think ever like since they since realignment, I mean I mean you look at this weekend in the in the in Milwaukee, um, you have just on an, an RPI like number twelve Creighton, uh, and DePaul is fifty nine, so that's a top that's a that's a that's a resume boosting match for either team that gets it right, um, and then Marquette's at sixteen, and UConn's at eighty two, so I mean. That like I just feel like that top four is as good as it's ever been. One, um, and then two for from Creighton's end of it, they dropped like I said they dropped their second match before they even played the second Marquette, you know the the rematch in Milwaukee. So not only did they have their backs against the wall, but they had to go to Milwaukee to make sure they swept Marquette to even give them a chance to, you know, keep pace with them to win the title in the first place. Because we talked about that if Marquette wins that match there's a potential based on the way the schedules are shaking are shaking out that Marquette runs away with the Big East title and Creighton doesn't even get a chance to chase them down for it. So that match in Milwaukee was kind of like a really big swing because Creighton had a tough slate to end the season, right? They still had St. John's. They still had Villanova twice. They still had Butler Xavier at home. Um, so I think it's impressive. It's, it's not for nothing that Creighton was able to win this one. I know when the, when you look up at the banners, it's going to be another year, but it wasn't another year. They really had their backs against the wall. They had no margin for error left because Marquette finished 16 and two as well. So Marquette didn't lose. So, you know, Creighton beating them and then finishing the rest of the season undefeated, not only undefeated, but they only lost two sets the rest of the way. They were, they were, they won 33 out of the 35 sets. That's crazy dominance. So they, they flipped the switch. And I think that's what makes it impressive in my mind. It's yeah, it's eight in a row. They've done it so much. It's probably old hat, right? Like it's, it's not their end goal. They want to, they want to do, they want to keep playing for another month. I get it, but it's not nothing that they won this thing again, especially how. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's really impressive what they did. And like you said, I don't think that, you know, the teams have ever been this strong, Um, especially, yeah, the whole time I was there, 
you know, you usually would lose match and you'd be like, oh, my RPI is going to tank, right? But I think, I mean, they've made up for that and just the quality of teams that they've played this year in the Big East. So they do get that boost in their RPI. But yeah, I think it's super impressive. And this Big East tournament will be really interesting because, I mean, DePaul, you know, potentially, you know, they're going to have a lot of motivation Mm because they could make their first NCAA tournament, you know, if they win out. Yeah, they're 19-11. If they beat Creighton, that's 20 wins and a top. 15 RPI. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. Even to just get in that large and get their RPI boosted, you know, you'd never say never, but um, yeah, I don't know. It'll just, it'll be really good matchups and it'll be fun to see really high quality volleyball um, yeah. over the weekend, you know, the most high quality volleyball the Big East has had. So it'll be really good. And hopefully a lot of people tune in and watch it. Yeah. Kirsten said this weekend that she wants the conference uh, tournament to expand to six. I personally hate conference tournaments and think they should all be banned, but if they're going to exist, like, how do you feel about the Big East going to six now that they have 11 teams and they seem to be on an upward trajectory? Like, I think that if you're going to call that shot out publicly, I think it was a good time for Kirsten to do that because this is as good as the league has been, right? So if you're going to call for expansion of the conference tournament, now is probably the best year to call that shot, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you should expand it. I think You see it in basketball, right? Like, yeah. basketball gets all their teams in and all yes. of them – can have their Hail Mary chance of winning it all and, you know, beating yeah. every team in the in the tournament. So I think if you're going to do it, you might as well include more people because, I mean, just having four teams is not really indicative of the whole conference. So I think, you know, give people their chance to win out and get a big upset. Well, especially when you look at, like I said, I hate conference tournaments, so I'm not going to go on that soapbox right now. I think they are silly in that they let teams that are like, you know, 10 games under 500 and they pull, they pull off this magical weekend. Now they're in the NCAA tournament. Like I don't think they should steal bids like that, but anyway, if you're going to expand it, why not? Because especially when you look at the league this year, she's not wrong in its, in its difficulty level. I mean, UConn lost to Georgetown. Creighton lost to St. John's. Um, You know, DePaul has what six losses in league play and they're a top 60 RPI team. Like that's a tough league. So if you're going to expand it, you know, the argument against expansion is like, well, is everyone even capable of pulling off a win in the conference tournament? Because that's the whole argument when you go to college football is like, well, how many teams are capable of winning a national championship in the first place? If you expand it to 12, what are you really including, you know? But so just to apply that logic to the Big East tournament. There are six teams in the Big East that are capable of beating the top of the top, right? So She's it's it's there's an argument there for expansion, especially when you have 11 teams now. Right. Like asking for half the league to get a crack at that, 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 you know, well, for volleyball it's November magic, that, that magic that you just pull off one great weekend where you play your best volleyball of the year and you get to go to the NCAA tournament. Why not? Yeah, maybe. Maybe they will expand it. I, I think they should just give people a chance and make it more competitive. I think that's it's a really fun, you know, part of the season and just see if people can get in there and play their best volleyball and see if yeah. there's an upset. Well, I mean, I think when you go back to uh, 2019, when St. John's beat Creighton and Marquette to get to the tournament, like that was their only road mm-hmm. was was knock exactly. off those teams and they're, they're in like so that was a crazy kind of a crazy weekend to watch them pull that off because they had to beat the two best teams in the league to do it, but they earned it, right? Like they, they, they played the matches. Um, the other team wanted to win just as bad as they did. Like it wasn't anything. Um, there weren't any outside circumstances that prevented it. So like, 
you know, there is, there is history like in this, there's precedent for the big East, um, you know, showing that it's not just Creighton Marquette's show. It's not just like, all right, which one of these teams is winning the league, winning the conference tournament? Like, you know what I mean? If, if, if you think that as a league, I think you shouldn't even have a conference tournament. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. if you're going to say that the the best two teams can't be beaten, you shouldn't even have a conference tournament because it's a waste of time for the two best teams to even play it in the first place. Yeah, that is true. I think it'll be really interesting to see. This is getting kind of out there, but just to see obviously who wins this weekend. And then if not, how many um, bids that the league gets. Yeah. Um, for the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, it's been, you know, one or two traditionally over the past few years. So, I don't know. We'll see, especially since those RPIs are a lot higher than they have been historically. Yeah, because, like, you think about, like, what if a – you know, what if DePaul beats Creighton and loses to Marquette? That's 20 wins for Mar- – that's 20 wins for DePaul, and they get a top 15 win on their resume. On the flip side, what if UConn beats Marquette and loses to Creighton? That's still – you know, Creighton and Marquette are locks for the tournament, right? But UConn at number, at 82 in the RPI, what kind of a boost do they get with a top 20 win? Because um, that'll be that'll put them at 22 and 10 at the end of the season, going into the selection Sunday, right? So, yeah, like either UConn or DePaul feel like they're one win away from making a really interesting argument for them to be included, right? So they're not. Yeah. They're, they might only be one win away from being a three bid league, as opposed to, you know, the foregone foregone conclusion of it just being Creighton and Marquette. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know, especially if, you know, DePaul upsets Creighton, you know, and mm-hmm. then beats Marquette in the championship. I mean, oh, what yeah, do you yeah. do then? Yeah, for sure. I mean, then they get the bid, but then, of course, you got three bids. So yeah. come to the Big East. So I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Let's uh, let's dive into that Creighton-DePaul match for a little, uh, you know, for a second, because that's the one we know is going to happen for sure. You know, DePaul's had a really good season. Um you know, racked up some quality non-conference wins. They, you know, they swept Central Michigan. They beat uh, beat Northwestern in five on the road. Um, handled business in conference play. Beat the teams they needed to beat to make it. But offensively, they're 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 tough to deal with, right? We already we talked about their serve and pass game and the improvements they've made in that area over the years. But uh, you know, they've got four hitters that Creighton needs to worry about this weekend. Like, um, it's not going to be easy. It'll be probably, it might be one of the toughest semifinal matches Creighton's played in a while. I know you guys played St. John's in 2019 and they beat you, but I mean, it, this, this DePaul team, this DePaul team might be, even, I'm sorry to bring it up, but I mean, like, it, I think that St. John's team was like hotter that weekend than, than as good as this DePaul team is. Yeah. Like, if that makes sense. I think DePaul's playing really yeah. good volleyball. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Maybe, you know, they'll have some magic to them and, play some really, really good volleyball. I mean, you never know. Like, that happened to me against St. John's in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Um, yeah, I just think they're, they've improved a lot defensively. Um, serving pass, they thought, it, you know, is better than it has been in years past. And then defensively, I think, too, they're pretty solid. And like you, like you said, a lot of hitting options, which they I didn't think had um, as much of over the yeah. previous couple of years, you know, as many options to go to. So, I think it will just be interesting to see how they – kind of spread it out and if they keep creating guessing and keep their block moving i think that'll be really important for DePaul. what's uh how does creighton get get right for this one you know how do they approach this because they this is a, a team that's dangerous right we both agree that they're dangerous on their own but creighton swept them twice already so like how does creighton kind of get 
you know, how does Creighton get to the point where they're playing sharp? Is it just, do you just worry about enhancing what you've done to end the year and trying to keep improving from that? So you're playing at your, so you're kind of peaking when you get your selection Sunday assignment, you know, or, um, cause I imagine it's tough to get up for a third match against a team you've already swept twice, just, you know, naturally. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I think you kind of get into that like new feeling though. I mean, it's, it's a part of your new season, right? Like it's postseason finally, mm-hmm. like, well, we'll qualify it as postseason. Um, True. Yeah. But yeah, so I think it's just, you have to have that mindset. I think you go into it and you're like, okay, this is a new season. We need to take care of it. And I think the biggest thing is you can't overlook DePaul and think ahead to that next match in the championship, right? I mean, you just have to focus on the task at hand and just playing really good clean volleyball. And I think you just try to take a step forward every time you get on the court now, because the number of matches you actually have to play is pretty limited, right? I mean, potentially you could have only a handful of matches left. So you might only have two left. Like If that, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, if that, so yeah. I mean, it's just, it's to that point where it's kind of like do or die. I mean, you have to play your best volleyball and um, hopefully win a championship and then roll into that selection show and put yourself in a really good position to hopefully win some games. Mm-hmm. I just want to talk about Marquette UConn a little bit. Uh, we're not going to try to break it down because, um, <laughs> you know, we'd be kidding ourselves if we thought we could, but Marquette lost. Uh, I think her name is Hannah Vandenberg, right? Yeah, Hannah Vandenberg. I think she they lost her, I think, in practice, like the week before this last weekend. I don't know what happened to her. I don't know how long she's out, but she did not play it all this weekend. And then Hope Worch went down with a really bad knee injury um, on Friday night against Georgetown. And then on Saturday, she was in that full, full, leg, full leg brace, you know, that usually yeah. means torn ACL, right? Um, those are two huge losses for them. Like, and and I and I bring it up because you went through something similar um, your senior year with Erica Kostelak. She was she tore her ACL against Georgetown on the road, right? So that was right towards the end of the year. Like, how does how do you think that's going to affect Marquette when a key cog like that, or in this case two, um, goes down with what looks like a season-ending injury, like right at this time? Yeah, it's so tough. I mean, yeah, it happened. Uh, you know, when I was there at Crane, but I think you just have to try to regroup and um, as much as you can try to kind of put somebody in there that can play that role well. Um, obviously, both of those players, I think, are really big contributors um, for Marquette. So I think just their on court, um, you know, scoring and that sort of thing is going to be really hard to replace. But yeah. yeah, I think you just try to kind of band together and their coaching staff will just have to try to be creative and move people around maybe and just see, you know, maybe somebody can play a position that they traditionally haven't and um, be good in that and just help their team win. But yeah, it's, it's tough. And, you know, hopefully it's not as serious um, as it looks. Yeah. I mean, with hope too, with hope works, it's, you know, arguably their best server and definitely their best, uh, you know, hitter, like at least the one they, they feed the most. Mm-hmm. Um, when, if, when you're going into that as a team, do you try to reinvent yourself that late in the year or do you just try to plug and play and maybe other areas try to step up to supplement the, that production? Like, you know, let's get more of out of our middles or something um, or let's let's defend a little bit better, you know, like 
how do you how do you overcome that? You know, when it's a, when it's a key cog like that in so many different facets. I think when you take somebody out that is so involved, right? I mean, they're passing, they're serving, they're blocking. I mean, they're really doing every aspect of the game. It's really mm-hmm. hard. So, I mean, you can't really replace them. I mean, if you had somebody to replace them, they'd probably be out on the court, right? And in yeah. that role. Um, so I think you just try to step up your game in different ways, kind of like you hinted at. I mean, you got to be better defensively. Okay, we've got to block better. We've got to serve a little bit better. Like everyone just needs to take a step up and just help out the team collectively. I think you just have to kind of get that 1% better or 2% better like every day and um, hope that you can kind of spread it out and run different things maybe. I mean, maybe you do ride your middles a little bit more than you can or, you know, hit the right sides a little bit more. So, yeah, it's just a little bit of a puzzle and it'll maybe take time. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they respond and um, what they play like um, their first match this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Creighton dealt with it a little bit this year when Jayla was out that, you know, week, week and a half. Um, but I think the way that Creighton handled it was kind of like you said, they got production. They got kind of Jayla's production in different areas. Like Jayla is an across the board star, right? Like she can serve, pass, block, defend. Um, so like, you know, Creighton got, you know, Ali Van Eckren and Ellie Bolton serving, um, to supplement that Jayla's production from the service line. Both of them played back row defense uh, and dealt with first contact a lot to, you know, make up for Jayla's passing. And then, you know, you get Keeley and Nora uh, playing on the, playing on the left side to handle the the hitting. Right. And I think that's kind of what, you know, Marquette will have to figure out is like, do they have, they, they're not going to have one player who can do what hope worse does, but you know, can they, can enough players raise their level in different areas uh, of the game where she had an impact um, to help them? Cause man, it's a huge, huge bummer to lose a player like that at this point in the season. Um, and the thing that I think I feel the worst about is, um, you know, you think about last year was like her actual senior year, right? So she didn't really get an opportunity there because the spring with COVID and everything, was truncated from a schedule perspective. Um, and then because of that, because the not they didn't really have much of a non-con, they lost to they lost one of the matches to Butler in that, you know, when they were playing two every weekend. Uh, they lost one of those matches in Hinkle, and Butler had like a sub 250 RPI last year. So it killed their chance at making the in-play tournament. So when Creighton beat them in the Big East championship match, that made the Big East a one-bid league last year with the 48 with the NCAA tournament only going to 48 last year. So it was like, it was cool to see her come back. Cause it's like, all right, she, you know, she deserved a better ending than that. You know what I mean? To her career. And then it's like, God dang, it sucks to see her go down right now because this is probably the one time of the year that she wanted to be playing for, you know, the a regular, the rest of it was kind of already, she'd been there, done that to some degree. Right. Like she deserved one more shot at an NCAA tournament and had, Marquette had earned it. So Marquette's going to go to it, but she won't likely won't get to play if that knee injury is as serious as it looks. And by all indications of the brace she was in, it's definitely as serious as it looks. So it's tough. It's a bummer for her, right? Yeah. I mean, it just sucks, honestly. I mean, it's a part of the season that you look forward to the most. And 
Um, you know, everything before that is like you said, I mean, things you're used to, right. You're used to playing those conference games and everything. And so you finally put all the work in and you get to the fun part of season and then you can't play. So, I mean, it's just, it's a bummer and I feel bad and, you know, to be a senior too, and to not be able to play, um, and to be done after this is, is really rough. So yeah, I mean, you can't sugarcoat it. It's, it's definitely gonna be really hard. Um, so She'll be trying to find her way and cheer on her team, I'm sure, um, if she can't play. But, yeah, yeah it, it sucks, honestly. Yeah, for sure. Well, I didn't mean to end the podcast on a down note, but that's kind of where it's wrapping up. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we certainly wish Hope the best, for sure. Um, and hopefully, you know, she her Marquette gets to go on gets to go on a run so she's able to enjoy it to some degree, um, even though she won't be playing in the matches, uh, likely, anyway. Um so yeah, that I think that'll do it. You got anything else you want to talk about at all? No? Yes? No, no I think I'm good. We'll okay. see how this weekend plays out. Yeah, this weekend will be fun. So uh Big East tournament starts, it's in Milwaukee this year and it starts Friday. Uh so they'll go Friday in the semifinals, and then Saturday will be the championship match. Um Marquette and UConn are leading off. Uh people were kind of wondering, like, why is Marquette going first? Usually, like, so from a fan perspective, you want the hometown fans coming in late to the first match. Um, if you're hosting, I think you get to pick when you play. I think that's how it goes. So it makes sense for Marquette to choose the first time slot because then if they win, they get more rest. So that's kind of why it's happening like that. But Marquette and UConn are going at 1230 on Friday. And then Creighton DePaul um, will be up next at 3 o'clock. Uh, that's central time. Um, and then Saturday, the championship match will be at 1 o'clock central time. So. That's your Big East tournament schedule. I think everything is on FS1. Maybe FS2, FS1. Let me double check real quick before we wrap up. Don't want to mislead the listeners. <laughs> oh, it's on Big East Digital Network. Never freaking mind. It's Flow Sports. Okay. I think the Big East turn. I think the Big East title matches on FS1 though, or FS2, one of those. Yes. I think it's like contractually in there, so we'll see. But yeah, Creighton DePaul is on uh, Flow Sports, so Flow Sports at three o'clock for that Big East semifinal match, and then I think the championship match if Creighton wins will be um, on one of the FS, one of the one of the Fox Sports channels. Um, so yeah, that's uh that's our last regular season wrap up podcast. We'll come back to you. Um, Next week, sometime to talk about the Big East tournament and then uh, Selection Sunday, Creighton's assignment, where they're going, hopefully hosting. I mean, they're 28 and three um, with a good RPI. So hopefully they're hosting. But we'll come back next week, talk about all that, get you ready for the NCAA tournament. As Megan said all year, it's her favorite time of the year. Um, so I'm sure she'll be extra excited to talk about it. Uh, so, yeah, for, for Megan, I'm Matt. We, we appreciate you all tuning in to listen to our, our volleyball takes all season, and we've got a few more left for you. So hopefully maybe a month left, right? That's what Abby Bottom – what did Abby Bottom say? In the last, like she's like – she, I don't know. Someone, I didn't hear. Someone asked her if this is why she – like after they won the Big East title, is it, like is this what she imagined when she came to Creighton? And she said – it's the start of what I imagine. So like, so she's, she's wired like you, like this is her, like this is the year time of the year she's been looking forward to. So she wants, she wants to make a deep run in December too. So yeah. see if, we'll see if Creighton can play a few more matches and if they can, you'll hear a little bit more out of Megan and, and me for the rest of the season. So 
until then, we appreciate you all. Thanks for tuning in. Everybody have a happy Thanksgiving.